Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Overuse Anonymous 100 Pounder Special Focus Meeting on a Wednesday. Today is the 5th of April 2023. And today I am absolutely delighted to welcome Ken. So, Ken Kendall first came to OA in November 2020. And he is from near Chicago in Illinois and he's now living in Texas. And Ken, Kendall M. I call him Ken, is going to um, share his experience, strength and hope with us now. Ken, take it away. And do you have any preference of your time or are you okay? You got up to 30 minutes left. We just worked that out with, um, I just worked it out with, uh, with, uh, with Harry. So brilliant. All right. Take it away then. Okay. Give me just a second here. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay. Okay, good morning uh, or afternoon, wherever you are. My name is Kendall and I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. Um, I'm glad to be here today. Um, this meeting is very special to me and without too much crosstalk, um, two of the fellows that helped me plug into program, this was the first meeting that I ever went to. Um, I woke up one day uh, after looking up lists of meetings for OA and having one saved from a year before and you know, seeing that it went online, and I, um, I realized was, I had there was like a small voice in my head that said, "Why not just give this a shot?" It was everything else was really loud. I had just happened to have not eaten before at the beginning of the day. I just it was all happen chance that I went to this meeting, and one of the people that I heard for the first qualification, and I identified and heard my own story out of someone else's mouth. I heard that story here, um, and I found away I immediately started working the program um, but I wish it was all you know it was all magic before that but it was really a mess um, just to briefly qualify in I'm going to be discussing my recovery you know in how it is laid out and to the best of my understanding in the big book is what it was like what happened and what it's like now uh, so what it was like just to briefly qualify my highest recorded weight is 464 pounds. Um, I say that because I had clothes up to 6X with stretch with stretchy elastic on the pants and my shoes were a size 6E. Um, and I avoided scales and photos and everything else like the plague, even though part of my vocation before coming to program, uh, part of my vocation was as an entertainer, as a musician. And so uh, but I would still do my best to avoid cameras and too many long conversations with people. I tried to avoid as much as I could, but if I couldn't avoid, I had to eat. Um, so if Rita, if you could show uh, the photos, the three photos that I have found, um, I actually had to go through my wife's Facebook and go through my phone to find these pictures. Uh, these are recent, uh, about four or five years ago. Um, I think... In the picture in the bottom left, I am at my uh, 460 plus weight. Uh, in the picture before, in the picture above that, it could be higher. And that picture on the right, I was actually somewhere in the swing of one of thousands of diets that I've tried. Um, and I was on the way up or down. I don't really remember because it's been really chaotic. Um, and that's uh, that's all for those pictures. Thank you, Rita, for sharing those. Um, 
it's still really difficult to look at those pictures uh, and it's really difficult in recovery to think about the body image issues and the things that I struggled with as a kid and into today but I now in my recovery look at them sort of as war wounds an experience of showing that what my higher power whom I call God has taken has taken me through to get to where I am today uh, and so just to qualify on the other end of that is you know I am now uh, I've lost 133 pounds from the recorded weight as of today, and I've been abstinent for 19 months as of yesterday. Uh, I had one moment of relapse last year in September, where I reset my date from November 11th, 2020, to September 4th of 2021. Uh, and so that was a little bit of what it was, and so in also of what it was like is identifying with of the steps of the 12 steps of recovery of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous which used for Overeaters Anonymous is step one that I'm powerless over food and that my life is unmanageable the unmanageability of life for me as a child I only want to briefly talk about that but it was basically as a kid my feelings did not feel safe when they came out I cried a lot I was really kind of shy um, and I identify as a person who is neurodivergent. I didn't, I didn't know or get diagnosed until later in my life, but one of the things that could regulate me and could keep me quiet long enough and I could understand and get in, you know, assimilate to the best of my ability into the world around me was with sugar. It was with sugar and flour and volume. If I was full and I was eating, I didn't have to express all of those emotions because I did not know how to control them. Um, so in, in effect, some of those things were what I struggled with. Um, in my life, I also had adopted a narrative that my feelings weren't safe with anyone. I had a few experiences as a child where... Ten minutes. Thank you. Um, I had a few experiences as a child where um, I did not feel that I was emotionally or physically safe um, and fighting with my brothers and fighting with family and uh, there were some and fighting with outside family and there were some things that I didn't feel like I could be trusted or I didn't feel I didn't feel safe and protected and so I used food as the shield um, when sometimes when people talk about the concept of fight flight freeze uh, there's also a fourth called fawning when things would happen to me if people made fun of me or when I was in school dealing with my body I would try to be likable I've always had a gifted gab uh, a God-given talent to be able to neutralize arguments I've been able to figure out what other people needed in rooms um, and it's always been a part of my story has been this concept of what I called people pleasing at the time before I started working the steps and working program I would try to make sure that everything was okay and that people were okay so that I could be left alone with the food and the last thing I'll say about the food is I don't have to go into the drunkologues of what it was like before because if you're like me food was on my mind 24 hours a day 365 days a year 366 on the leap year and if it was possible to do it if it was possible to think more than that, I was doing it. I was thinking about the food I was going to eat while I was eating the meal. I was thinking about the next day's worth of foods. If I was on some crazy crash diet, I was thinking about when I was going to binge off of it. And I'm a perfectionist, also known as a control freak. So 
if I missed one of my snacks, the meal wasn't perfect, the food didn't wasn't good, or something went bad in the fridge, got into a bad fight, it really didn't matter, it was a day that ended in Y, I would throw myself off of that diet and directly into food in any place. And at my largest, um, I was driving back and forth between gas stations, fast food places, and I was eating and I was constantly listening to podcasts about business. I'm, I'm constantly a future tripper. I'm thinking about the future because I don't have to stay in the now if I stay in the future. The future can constantly change and I don't have to deal with reality on its terms if I can stay in my mind and I stay in the disease. So that was a little bit of how it, how it was. What happened? I came to a meeting. Uh, and in 2018, I went into something called diabetic ketoacidosis. My blood sugar was over 400. My A1C was 12. I was laid out on an emergency table. They had IVs in my arteries because my veins had collapsed because I had eaten myself nearly to death. And it still took me two more years to come to this program. I swung up and down with diets my entire life and could not stop eating because every time I identified those foods, which I call alcoholic foods, I convinced myself that I could still eat them again. In the, in the program, in the understanding of the, and how I understand uh, being an alcoholic with food, there is an obsession of the mind and an allergy of the body. The allergy of the body is once the food gets in my body, it's like crack. It's like a drug and I need it. I have to have all of it. But my mind is what comes first. My mind is constantly blowing up my life to get me to try to numb the rest of the world because I can't deal with it on its terms. So in the doctor's opinion, there's one line that's very important to me because it answered the questions to what goes on in the head of an addict. Why am I like this? Why do I pick food? All of those things, the why me? It's a very short line. It is men and women, uh, where is it? Yeah, men and women drink, or eat in this case, men and dr women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. That's it, that's the whole thing for me. I don't need to go into anything else to recover. My story is everything else that I call my PR campaign. Everything else is predicated around the fact that I have a story that you would eat too if you had a life like me. And if I and every time I push away from that story, I get re, I get reprieve through the fellowship and through my higher power. Um, that line is very important to me. And there's two other lines. Um, one of the lines is here. Uh, they are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks, or in this case in my head I say bites, drinks or bites which they see others taking with impunity. It's one of the only places that I've seen the word impunity. And Five minutes. Oh, thank you. Um, so, oh, that's five minutes of the 30. Wow. Okay. Oh, you want you want thirty? I thought you only wanted fifteen. I'm sorry. No, I I wanted the first fifteen, like the fifteen minutes is the fifteen mar minute marker. That's okay. Thank you. Um. Gosh. Um. I was like, oh man, I went to thirty minutes anyway. Anyway, um, the. So this is repeated over and over. Unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. Um, if I don't go through a psychic change. This won't, this is going to be forever. This will be my Groundhog's Day. Um, 
I will do this every day over and over again until I die. And I didn't want that. Um, the other line, though, I'm going to jump ahead and come back through the steps, is actually on page 89 of the big book, on in chapter 7. My favorite two sentences as to what recovery means for me are these. It's, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics or compulsive overeaters. It works when other activities fail. For me, immunity, and I want to go from impunity, from trying to eat these foods, like in the doctor's opinion, of trying to you know, mess around and find out with the food, with different substances, um, and I want to move into a place where I have immunity from the disease. So immunity, this is one of the only places that I have seen the word immunity in the text. Uh, so impunity and immunity. I want immunity. And how do I get that in step one? For me, my experience is when I tell people that I want to eat, I don't eat. And when I tell people I'm fine, I go right towards food. That has been the truth for me in my experience. Uh, another thing that's been important in this program is being honest, is being open-minded, and being willing. And in order to do those things, I had to listen to a lot of people, and I had to understand, for me, I could not take advice from other people. Advice never worked for me as an addict. As an addict today, if someone tells me to turn right, I will turn left until I discover for myself turning right was the correct thing. So when I share with people, with my sponsees, to the best of my ability, I fall short of this all of the time and likely will today. Um, I try not to tell people what to do, but I try to tell them what I did and, it, and that it helped me. And my hope is that they try it themselves, but I have no connection to that. The only thing that I have any control over is telling the truth about my own experience so that I have recovery today. But my goal is always to tell the truth about my recovery and where I'm at. And so anything I say today, please take with a grain of salt of the sense that I have 19 months of abstinence. I'm connected to the solution. Find people that have what you want. I had to find someone who had what I want and I did what they do. And I experience some of this psychic change every single day. Is everything perfect? No. The only thing that I have to do with all of my will and might, and as I'm going to go through the steps here, is from step one was to admit that I was powerless over food and that my life was unmanageable. That meant I had to put the food down. That was the thing that was the, the driving force in my recovery was knowing I had to get distance between the stimulus and the response of eating that food or picking up in alcoholic ways. And so in step one for me, working my recovery, I work, uh, my food and step sponsor are together. Um, I don't have the, some people have an experience of having a food sponsor or a step sponsor. Um, when I work my food, I have a nutritionist who tells me what stuff, the amounts that I eat. So I weigh and measure and in consultation with my sponsor, I have some limitations as to the volume. So one of the things that I had to do in my recovery was define what my alcoholic foods and food behaviors were. So for those for me are flour and anything that looks like bread. If it looks like bread, I can't eat it. That includes wraps and these things because my brain makes it into those things. Do I know why? I 
don't care today. Today, I'm not, I, I want the food to be down. Um, sugar and sugar substitutes. So fake sugars, natural sugars, all of those things, if they've been added to a food, I will eat them. I have eaten fake sugar out of a bowl and spore, uh, and mixed it with water to drink it to get more fake sugar into my body. I have done that with diet soda drinks. Uh, so because of that, I don't do sugar or fake sugars. Uh, my only sources of sugars come from vegetables and fruit when I do eat them. Uh, and I have measured proteins, but I'm also a volume eater. I have compulsively eaten apples, spinach, lettuce, carrots. It doesn't matter. If I am disturbed, I just want more of everything that I think is going to give me pleasure. That's going to numb out the world. So that's been more drugs in my life. That's been more validation from friends and family. That's been more adoration from crowds of people as a performer that's been more attaboys or uh attitudes from my jobs everything i've i've run on getting more of everything in my life so step one was realizing that i couldn't separate the food from my ambitions realizing that i have a psychic broken connection into what I'm supposed to do in this world. And that's my experience. Step two, coming to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. In order to do that, I had to acknowledge I was insane, but I also had to have experiences of having more sanity over time. So, and for me in that experience in my life, that came from, in working the steps, that came from when I did what my sponsor asked me to do or told me to do that would work that worked for him, I saw that I didn't eat. And I did that for several days, one day at a time. And I saw that I was getting distance between myself and the food. There was more of a pause that was possible. But I was taking actions regardless of whether I thought that they were going to work. If I'm being honest, I didn't think that this program would work. When the two people that are here in this room, when they sent me the information, information uh, one of them me information about my sponsor and one of them sent me how to identify my binge foods and sent me links to go get the big book and to go get sponsor or to go listen to speakers and shares i listened to almost everything i could all night i read the big book all night and it went in one ear and out the other it didn't matter i you know i have a really good visual memory and so i can think about and i see page numbers of books but none of that has helped me I also am a person that my current vocation is in talking about spiritual matters with other people now. And that, and because of that, I thought I knew everything that there was about God. But what I realized was, in the text, what I had tested, this comes from the Big Book of Alcoholics, or oh, from the Alcoholics Anonymous 12 and 12, talks about testing or the knowing the that alcohol was our master. The sense that I had tested the ends of the earth with this disease of compulsive eating, but I had never tested my higher power even half of the same way. So what did I have to do? I had to call people. I had this experience that um, I, there was one day about 10 days into program. I went to, I had just caught a case of the efforts and I was going to eat. Uh, I pulled into a fast food place and I never answer my phone. I accidentally answered my phone from in the car and someone picked up 
someone answered on the phone and I told them the truth. I don't know why I told them what I was doing, but I was stuck in line at a fast food place and I said, I want to eat. And the guy on the phone said, well, that's not a great idea, is it? And we both kind of laughed like a little bit, but I was so angry because he ruined my binge. And because he ruined my binge, I stayed on the phone with him. He got me to not order anything through the line and he got me back on the highway, back home. That would happen again two or three more times on different days where I just, I was done and then I was going to go eat and someone called me. So outreach and using the phone in real time has saved my life. Uh, I also found that in coming to believe in a power that was greater than myself to restore me to sanity, I had to deal with the fact that when I put the food down, my whole life felt insane. I, I, was, I would get so upset uh, if, if I saw a video of something that was really emotional, I was crying. If I got angry with my wife, I felt like I was just going to get a divorce. I thought that was the only recourse that I had, was to leave the house. I was storming around because I couldn't eat food. Because my best friend, who had been killing me food, what was my best friend, I had to put that food down, and I had to deal with that stuff in real time. And, Ten minutes. Thank you. In step in step three, turning my life and over to my life and will over to the care of God, as I understand God, for me, that is in the working of the program of my action plan and everything in my life. I try my best to people that are in my life, try to address what things are for me and not against me. So what are the things in life that are happening for me and not to me? So what does that mean? I have my sponsor who helps me get my day together. Uh, where's my recovery? Making sure that I go to meetings, you know, checking in with me about phone calls and making sure I make outreach calls. My action plan, making sure that I've set up, I've set aside time for when I'm going to pray, meditate in between all of the other stuff I try to jam into my life. Making sure that I put my recovery first. Um, and getting real in real time, reading the literature. Um, and so in my step three, when I decided, okay, this God that I now, that how I understand God now changed in step two, in step one and two are acknowledgement steps. In step three, I have to hand all of that over and get to work. And so for me, when I read the text, to understand one of the lines is to drink is to die. I believe that if I go back to compulsive overeating, if I pick up the food, I'm headed towards death again. So for me, working the next step, step four, was very uncomfortable, but it was of the utmost importance in my recovery. My inventory, um, working the inventory the first time, I was able to put down, I, I was able to put down the food for a time, but I didn't get fully honest. There were things I left off of my first inventory, and I had to do it again after my relapse. But what I learned in that experience was seeing my character defects all at once and seeing how I had been wronged there's a cop you know and some of the people work the work and you look at the columns to see what was my part I found that the things in my life that were that I thought were serving me I no longer needed but the things that had been done unto me in my life I was doing to other people I was pushing them out I was abandoning them I was fighting with them I was gossiping uh, character assassinations, of ruining people's first impressions at the workplace. Uh, I was stealing food, but not 
but I didn't think I was stealing because I was replacing the things I took from a roommate. Uh, and so there was stuff that came up for me. So in step five was where I had my personal, my first true, what I think was my spiritual experience. When I told my sponsor the things that had happened to me in my life, when I finally, when I wrote it down on paper and looked at it myself, I dissociated. I started crying and there was a very, it was a cathartic experience. But I realized that my sponsor and that my higher power, whom I call God, loved me no matter what I, what I said. It was the first time I felt not alone in my life. And I did what the big book said was to go sit quietly for an hour and thank God and make sure I didn't leave anything out. And this is on the second go round. There was more stuff, so I had to do another fifth step. And so then we did more stuff. And now I'm working through the steps again with my sponsor because now that I've been sober for some time, there's stuff that I didn't even know was a problem. My, the, the peeling of the onion takes some time. I still really struggle with feeling safe with people uh, and trusting that people have that, that my best interest can line up with anyone else's. The only thing that I do know for sure is that after working step five and looking at step six and seven with my character defects is that my expectations are too large for people, are too large for humans. The only person or the only being that can love me 100% unconditionally is my higher power. That is the only thing for me. And if I expect that from people, I will be let down every single time. And that doesn't matter whether they did something to me or I have done something to them. I can't have these expectations. They'll kill me. Um, I've also found that I, I eat certain types of information. Uh, social media is a, I have to weigh and measure all of my interactions with the world because social media and lots of these things are delicious to me. Gossip is delicious to me. I want to eat it. In Five minutes. Way, thank you. In the same way that I wanted to pick up the food. I want to know what's going on. I'm addicted to knowing who knows about who, who could get power because in my life, I thought that that was, I, th I associated that with power, that social capital of understanding who was in the know with what things. And I had to make a lot, a lot of amends in my step eight. Well, when I wrote down a lot of people, the things that I had done, the character assassinations, uh, dealing with some of the financial amends, dealing with those things, when writing that stuff down, I realized how much I had to get right, how much I had to get to get back in right relationship with my higher power. There was a lot of stuff I had to do to stay sober because, again, all of the work that I'm doing is predicated in the fact that if I don't set up, uh, upon doing this work rigorously, I will die. I don't I don't think that has to be true for everyone here today. I'm not sure. But I know for me that if I start not telling the truth, if I get dishonest again, I'm headed directly towards the grave. I tried before in 2018. I've tried to hurt myself with food. I don't need any more evidence today. And that's a gift. And in my step nine, when giving an amends, I realized that they were for me. The spiritual concept is love. I get to show love to someone else and that loves me. People sometimes talk about the self-amends. That part was part of the process of understanding that when I forgave other people, I received forgiveness some way. I had a, an experience with a, in a previous relationship where uh, I started to just regular, you know, I started, I did what, I was following my sponsor's 
uh, direction and I was just started to apologize and it was an ex-girlfriend and she stopped me dead in my tracks and said, are you giving an amends right now, Kendall? And I, I was shocked because she was also now in program. She was now working the steps. And so she recognized that and we laughed, but she told me that I had never apologized to her ever in our relationship. I didn't know that. But I also, it made sense because I'm an alcoholic with food. I've been disordered with the way I looked at the world for so long. And now in steps 10, uh, one thing that's very important to me in working my program is keeping step 10 very simple. Um, in step 10, it says the following. Uh, we vigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We have entered in the world of spirit. But here it is. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. So the first thing that I'm doing, I'm continuing to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. The first thing I do when it crops up, I ask God to take it away. That's number one. Number two, I then discuss what was going on with someone immediately, not later at night, not 25, you know, not 22 weeks from then. I have to do it right now. And discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we harm someone and then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help so I have to get into service immediately once I say okay God took it away I check in with somebody and then I get to work now that service is in program it could be helping another overeater it could also be maybe God needed somebody to do the dishes and take out the trash and get out of my head for some time um, step 11, my prayer and meditation are the very first thing that I do every morning where I pray the serenity prayer, third step, seventh step, and I do the St. Francis prayer from the big book of alcohol, uh, from the AA 12 and 12. Um, and I spend 10 minutes in silent meditation. And then in step 12, the service part, one of the, the last thing I want to share about service is that. It happens at every stage of recovery. Being honest about where I am in a meeting is service. Telling the truth. Oh, thank you. Um, telling the truth in real time is service to someone. Making a phone call and leaving a voicemail, even if they don't pick up, is service. Uh, writing, writing an email to someone, doing something in a meeting, like being the speaker getter or the timer, the timer was really helpful for me because it made me pay attention to what people said. And it was even more difficult if they said something that hit home for me. Uh, I learned a tool of writing down when I have a resentment with someone or if I'm upset with someone sharing to me, but they have something true to say. What's helped me is to write down what they say so I can look at it later when I'm more objective. I learned these things in recovery. I didn't learn these in my own. And this is all so that I can show up as an average person in society, it takes a lot of work today. Uh, and I still have my body issues. I still have lots of things going on, but this program has done for me so much. And so I'm just, I'm honored to be able to give back. And uh, with that, I'll pass. My name is Kendall and I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. Thank you. Oh, Kendall, thank you so much. What a, what a message of depth and weight. I'm just gonna read um, just a little bit out of the big book for those of you who are following it's page 544 it's a story called freedom from bondage and it opens saying the mental twists that led up to my drinking began many years before I ever took a drink for I am one of those whose history proves conclusively that my drinking was a symptom of a deeper trouble though my efforts to get down to causes and conditions I stand convinced 
that my emotional illness has been present from my earliest recollection. I never did react normally to any emotional situation. The medical profession would probably tell me I was conditioned for alcoholism by the things that happened to me in my childhood. And I'm sure they would be right as far as they go. But AA has taught me I am the result of the way I reacted to what happened to me as a child, which what is much more important to me, AA has taught me that through this simple program, I may experience a change in this reaction pattern that will indeed allow me to match calamity with serenity. And we'll leave it there. <laughs>